these were these were real painful things and yet through it good things resulted This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today, we've got Eric. I'm here. And we've got Tracy. Morning. And we have Karen. Hey, how's it going? We are starting into a new year. This will be the first episode that lands in the new year. And I know a lot of people look at the new year as an opportunity to start new things, do new things make changes in their lives. And I thought this would be a good opportunity for us here to share some of the resources that we like to use in our study. Maybe this is your first time uh, listening to the podcast, and if so, welcome. But uh, we, we really try to look at what the Bible says and try to look at it outside of the context of denomination or uh, you know, just traditions and whatnot, but really what the Bible says. And, you know, we do that. I think each one of us does that a lot of times with other resources besides just the text of the Bible, because there's a lot of people out there that are smarter than us that have taken more time to study, maybe more than than us. And uh, you can sift through some different things. And, and um, so that maybe we go around here today and share some of the things that we like to use as a supplement How's that sound? Let's start. Uh, let's start with Karen today. Karen, do you, do you have any other resources that you like to look at in your studies? Mm, well, okay. So one of the big contributors to my faith is history, because as I see how the Bible played out through history, then then I can, well, what do they call faith? The substance of things hoped for or whatever. But in the, but in the past, it's already happened. So like all of the stuff that happened in the Bible that people were waiting for or hoping for or watching for, to us, that's history. And so, so anytime I do a lot of historical research alongside, not through any particular source, because it helps me understand their context, their customs, um, and it builds my faith. And then the other thing I do is, um, the only other thing I do with any regularity is if I come across a phrase or an expression or a word, and it doesn't really make sense to my modern brain, I will go back and look up, you know, what language was this written in? And what does that word mean in that language? And try and get like a more colloquial understanding of it. So that's really... I'm no great scholar. That's really all I use. Well, that's good, though. It's good. Yeah, it's cool. It's good to uh, get a little context. How about you, Tracy? You know, I probably follow about the same line. I um, kind of as we go back, you can know that I'm huge on Egypt, so I like history a lot. So I basically do that. I use a variety of like Bible commentaries. There's a person out in California that I like to read too. Um, he's done the blueprint. Ivor Myers is really good. So I have a lot of his stuff. So occasionally I'll, I'll pop in and, and get just another, another perspective on things. A couple different Bible commentaries I use. I'll use Ellen White. So I just kind of pop all over. 
anywhere I can kind of, you know, I get a inclination of looking somewhere else. That's kind of where I go. Okay. Eric. There's a couple different things. Uh, my first and foremost is occasionally I'll switch up the Bibles that I'm using. I've been using um, the English Standard Version for a long time now, and I really, really like that. And I know this may sound bizarre to some people, but for me, the format, the way the Bible is printed, really helps me read it. I'm a huge fan of a single column format. That means if you open up my Bible, each page isn't in two columns like the old traditional Bible, like I had my whole life. It's actually in one column, like a book, and it helps me read it uh, as a book a lot easier. One of the things that I really enjoy and use as a tool for this is that there are, it is, it's not the same as a cross-chain reference Bible. I've used those before, too, um, but this has cross-references in the margin, like little tiny letters of the alphabet next to certain words in the text, and it will refer to other verses in the Bible that that author may have been referencing or they're on the same theme and i find that very it's basically it's a bible bible nobody's saying oh and this is what it means it's just like oh hey here in ruth for example uh you can refer back to this thing you can see where they used it in matthew or this shows up again in psalms or samuel and so it's really neat to see where these things show up again and again and again and it lets the bible kind of expand on itself because uh, we read just last night about Mary's Magnificat. That's Mary, the mother of Jesus. And how when she was uh, with Elizabeth, she basically sings this song. Well, as it turns out, that's going to be something that we read next week as we're in Samuel. Because Samuel's mother did the exact same thing. See, <laughs> but if you, if you read just Mary's and you have no idea that this has already happened in history, like almost verbatim, you miss it. And that's one of the things I, I really enjoy. Outside the Bible... This may sound like a silly, geeky thing, but I like maps. And there's an app called um, Bible Maps. Pretty straightforward thing. And it's by Plowboy, P-L-O-U-G-H-B-O-Y dot org. And basically what it is, and I used it for this reading, Matt, is it says, you know, there was a famine in Egypt, and Naomi went up to Moab. I'm like, well, I wonder how far away that is. What direction is that? Where, and so I look it up on this map, and every time it has a Bible in there, just a Bible text, the text of the Bible, and every time it mentions a place, up above it, it'll have a map, and it'll drop a pin on the map where the place is referenced. Now, these are done through archaeological review type things, and so sometimes it's their best guess because of these ancient places, but it really helps to know. It's like, oh, that was like right next door, or, oh, wow, the children of Israel, like, they they walked to Babylon. Well, how big a deal is that? Hint, big deal. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, so I, I really like maps, and that's the thing I like looking at. Cool. Well, I've got a couple of, uh, well, there are other podcasts that I like to listen to. I'll promote somebody besides me. If you don't, not me, besides, I'll promote somebody besides us. There's one in particular that I've been listening to for several years, and it's just called Daily Audio Bible. It's a non-denominational deal, but it's literally uh, the pastor of a church. He gets on, and he reads the Bible every single day, and by the end of the year, you've gotten through the Bible. So it's a, it's a, it's a daily reading of Old Testament, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. So just like you would do if you were doing a regular one-year-through-the-Bible reading plan. 
and it's a pretty amazing resource. Not only do you get Bible every day, he gives a little commentary on it. Uh, they've got a it's a huge worldwide prayer chain. If you have prayer, you can call into them. They have they've got a phone app. They've got a website. Uh, they've got their podcast. So if you don't listen to us, I would recommend listening to that one. Just a, it's just a really great way to experience Scripture every single day, and uh, you know start start getting into some of those things that maybe you haven't heard before. That's where I first heard that uh, story of uh, was it Jephthah and his daughter, and went, "Wow, I never heard that one before." You know, so that that's one, and then another one. I don't look at it as much, but I have in the past, and that's really good. I think it's called the Bible Project. And this again, it's another, um, it's another non-denominational deal. But these guys, these two guys, get on and they talk about what the Bible says. They try to steer clear of the traditions and things. They get to the bottom of what the what the Bible actually says. And they've got a podcast. They've got a website. They've got YouTube videos that you can look into. That's the Bible Project. Now, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with all the conclusions they come to, but on the whole, I think they do a, just a really good job of just of just um, getting to the bottom of what the Bible is actually saying instead of what everybody always says that it says, if that makes sense. In in addition to uh, your regular daily study, I think those are those are pretty good. You know, one As thing you, you didn't, we didn't mention. I'm surprised mm-hmm. um, none of us did because we've all probably used them, and that's parallel Bible translations. Oh sure. You can, you can get an actual book if you did not know that exists. You can. You can open it up, and um, it's got usually four different translations. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, and I've I've um, I've got one too. You can choose the translations that it shows. There, I mean, there's not an infinite choice uh, in a book format, but you can do that. There is an infinite choice. You can you can find those online. There's oh, I think is it the Bible Hub. And then there's the, um, what's another great one? I've even talked about it and used it. I've got it on my other computer. I think there's uh, a Bible Gateway or that's something That's the like one. That. Yeah, Bible yeah. Gateway is great. I use it all the time. Uh-huh. Bible Gateway. And you can choose virtually any translation of the Bible that's ever been done. And you can mm-hmm. read them side by side. And and one of my favorites is the, um, oh, help me out here, Karen. It's the uh, it's Amplified. That's the one. Thank you, Karen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, sure. That's, I'm, I'm here for it's, you. It's, um, for example, there's there's a phrase where it says, uh, where Paul says, any of you who continues in sin, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, that, that's harsh. But if you read it in the Amplified, it gives all the different synonyms. Is any of you who continues in, who is stubborn in, who persists in sin, who keeps on deliberately sinning. I'm like, oh, that's a slightly different meaning than just if you sin again. And an Amplified Bible can can give you all the the possible nuances of that word. And it's just really cool to be able to, on a, on a pretty granular level, look through that and see what's going on. Sometimes it's fun to read a paraphrase just so that you can get oriented to the story. You don't get bogged down in the language. You can like, this, like actually, like, what's happening here? And you can blaze through that, and then you can go back and parse it out in a translation instead of uh, a paraphrase version. And you'll be better oriented. Yeah, yeah mine, um, mine is NIV. So it's mine is two translations and two paraphrases, and so it goes NIV, New Living, New King James, the Message, and those are my four. 
But the main thing is, I'd say, read your Bible. <laughs> Just get mm-hmm. yeah. and and yeah. read it. If you if you pray, God, I'm seeking for you. I want to find you in these pages, and I'm going to spend time reading it and reflecting on it. God will speak to you through what you have. That's the most important thing. Is yep. putting is putting it into your head, whether it's through audio, or whether it's you read it or you read it online or you read it on paper, is that you do it. Yeah, there's so many resources and so many ways of reading the Bible now, and so many of them are free. Another one I didn't mention is the uh, a Bible app for your phones and tablets and stuff. It's called YouVersion. Yeah. There, and yeah. you can get, I, I mean, so many different translations that you can look at. I mean, there's some with, there's a, you know, like a, Jewish Bible in there, and you get all the all the funky names that uh, that they have in there instead of you know when it, instead of Jesus it's Yeshua and 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 some others and lots of <laughs> you could really you know kind of geek out on on some of that stuff but uh, yeah there's so many ways and so it's and won't cost you anything more than what you're already paying probably for your for your phone or tablet service and all that so so but yeah definitely incur I would encourage our listeners take the opportunity you know it's a People look at a time for new changes and, or, you know, making new habits and take the opportunity to get into the word and listen, listen to it, read it, study it, however you can. Find a version that you will read and, and read it. Okay, we are starting today, well, we're going to start and finish today the entire book of Ruth. It's a, it's a short book. It's only four chapters long. It is set back in the context of the days of the judges. So we just got through last week talking about the book of Judges and how, you know, it was up and down, up and down with the Israelites and, you know, and they would continually do evil and in the sight of the Lord and everybody was doing as they thought was right and and it uh, ended up ugly. So this is set in that time period and it begins with a man named Elimelech. And he moves his family to Moab. Now, I was looking at that, that map app that you were talking about this morning, Eric. and Because I was curious, okay, where is Moab? Moab is to the east of the Dead Sea. Maybe 15 to 20 miles to the east of the Dead Sea. Mm-hmm. And so they would have had to travel around the Dead Sea to get, unless they took a boat across. I guess they might have. I don't know. But most people, I think, usually walked. Yeah. But they would have taken, they would have taken a trip at any rate around or over the Dead Sea to get to Moab. And he's coming from Bethlehem, which is not too far away from Jerusalem. So if you look at a map and see how that is, you'll, you'll get an idea. He's got his wife Naomi with him. And he's got two sons named Malan and Kilion. Don't know what happens to him, but he dies and his son take some wives, some Moabite wives. One is named Orpah, and the other is Ruth. But then those two sons also die. Now, we have talked in the back about the traditions of how women were taken care of when their husbands would die. And uh, if you have, if you're familiar with that, you know that these women are not in a great position now. Maybe especially Naomi, because she's so far away from her, from her homeland. Traditionally, what would happen is somebody, a close relative, generally a brother, the next brother in line, would, would 
take the wife for his own and continue the line, his brother's line through that, through, uh, through that woman. But these women now find themselves all by themselves, no resources, nothing to, nothing to, uh, support them. And Naomi decides that it's time to head back to Bethlehem. She encourages her daughters-in-law to go back to live with their fathers because I don't know how old Naomi is at this point, but uh, she's unlikely. She doesn't have any more sons. She's unlikely to have any more sons. And like she says, even if I did, what are you going to wait for them to grow up so that they can marry you? So she, she encourages them to go back to live with their fathers. And one of them does. Orpah decides to go back. But Ruth does not want to for many reasons. She says to Naomi... Before we, before we go back to that, um, I just want to say what an amazing and wonderful change we have from what people were doing at the end of the book of Judges. Because mm-hmm. Naomi's character here is just, it's just so amazing. It's so incredible. Because in, chap- in, in chapter 1, verse 10, Naomi's basically saying, no, you first. I'm going to put you and your interests ahead of mine. And in 13, in verse 13, she says, you know, why would you come with me? No, no daughters, it's exceedingly bitter to me for your sake. She's, she's, that's the, that's like, it's a total inversion. Everything here that we see in the book of Ruth is different than what we've saw in the last few chapters of Judges where everybody there in, in judges at that time was me, me first, my my call, my way. I'm just going to do whatever I think. And you have Ruth here, like everybody, like everywhere you look pretty much is like, no, 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 you first. How can I help you? And it's just absolutely amazing. You know what? I, I kind of felt the same way when I was reading it, is that we kind of ended on a, a down note at the end of judges. And it was something that almost balanced it out that, you know, it was a, a feel-good story, almost. Yeah, that you you just kind of needed it. I I think I needed it after coming out of Judges. I have a Bible that has a timeline in the center column, which it's a traditional King James, so I don't actually read it that much. But whenever I'm curious of when something falls into the grand scheme of things, I look that up. The Book of Ruth happens ar- around chap the same time frame as chapters two and three of Judges. Just so you know. I thought that was interesting. And Judges covers a several hundred year span. Yeah. Um, the other interesting thing, oh, actually two interesting things. Um, I was almost named Mara. My mother loved the name Mara and wanted to name a daughter Mara until she found out from the book of Ruth that it means bitter. Well, so, we're glad that that didn't happen for you, Karen. So that's that. And then the other interesting thing is, incidentally, if you Google how far is it from Bethlehem to Moab, it gives you Moab, Utah by default. <laughs> so how far even is that? If, even if you have typed in country of Moab, um, well, it is, um, it is uh, a long way. Let, let, let me guess. 12,000. No, no, no. no 9,000 miles. No, it's not that far. <sighs> okay. <laughs> they wouldn't have walked it. Let's see. Um, once I finally got it right, I found out that it is about a 50-mile journey. 
Right. And that now nowadays people can go over there and walk it themselves just for interest's sake. And here's here's the thing. I will say this. This is this is a bit of an aside, but I don't think it should be glossed over. We've got three guys here and one woman on this podcast. Those of you who are listening could probably figure that out. Um, <laughs> Wait, Karen's a woman? Go to your room. I don't think I've ever mentioned that before. <laughs> here's the funny thing. Uh, some of you have been listening for a while may know I'm a photographer, and I do mostly commercial photography um, uh, for advertising and publication and so on, not so much just the senior picture type thing. Once upon a time, I was doing a photo shoot to illustrate Bible themes for books and publications and so on. So we were out in the Utah desert. Actually, it was outside of Las Vegas, so it wasn't in Utah. We were outside of Las Vegas because that area out there looks like this part of this, this um, Israel-Moab part of the world. And so we had people in character, they were in clothes, you know, Bible time clothes and makeup and the oh, whole deal. Right. And one of the scenes that we shot was, was Naomi leaving Ruth and Orpah, specifically the Ruth and Naomi part. And I'm like, I'm a guy, this is my job, right? I'm just going to photograph this. Like, this is a deal. I'm just going to get through this. I've got to get, you know, 300 pictures of this scene. And then we move on to the next one in the next 45 minutes, Right. And so there were two women who were playing um, Ruth and Naomi, and they were like getting their heads into it as to what was really going on. And they were on a ridge. I remember this. Uh, and there was a path, one you know, path went downhill and one went uphill, and it looked just like you would expect it to look in Moab, right? And I'm photographing it. I'm like, okay, like you get together and talk, and you put your hand on her shoulder, and then, okay, you kind of put your head down a little bit, and then, okay, I want you guys to hug a little bit, and... And then as I'm photographing, I'm like, these women are crying. And I'm thinking, we, we didn't have makeup come in here and drop tears. What the heck is going on? So I just keep photographing. And they're like weeping and sobbing. I'm, I'm thinking, what the heck? Because I'm not ready for this. Guys are never ready for this. Just spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> and, and after I photographed, I was like, what happened? What is going on? They're like, you know, we just... We really put ourselves into where these two women who really loved each other would be and what a heartbreak it was. And it made us cry. And I just want to say it's easy just to blaze through this and go like, ah, yeah, you can go back. No, 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 you first. No, really, I want to go with you. No, it's okay. Bye. And, and, just, and just do that. But these women who were basically actresses got themselves into the story to the point where they were really – this is a big deal. Okay, because when we're talking about Ruth saying, I'm going to leave my people and my family and my gods, because this was a wholesale thing here, folks. Remember this, mm -hmm. is that when you went from one place to another and you adopted their God and their religion, this was a totally total shift in your identity. Like you were you were going all in. And we, it's easy to forget that that's what's actually happening here in chapter one. It's a big deal. Yeah. At one point or. um Orpah, as it says, she returns to her, or actually Naomi is the one who says says it, but she says that Orpah has returned to her people and to her gods, and yeah. Ruth is not doing that. Right. So like you say, Eric, that is a, I mean, she is setting everything aside. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything, you know, we, I've, obviously she had a family to go back to. Yeah. I don't think Naomi would have said, go back to your family if she knew that Ruth didn't have a family to go to. So it's obviously that obvious to me that Ruth did have a family. 
And so, yeah, there's this this immense bond that has taken place, but not only with Naomi, but with, you know, the God of Israel, because Ruth says she claims that she's got a little poem in there. She says, your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. You know, and I think that's too where you see that in in 16 is that that's how how far and she's all in at this point by saying, you know what? Where you go, I'll go. Where, you know, you lodge, I'll lodge. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, I'll die. Yep. That's all in. There's there's nothing else for that. Uh, you know, and when you look at that, it's it's almost, you know, I want to say, too, that, you know, I think I've seen some kind of, like, wedding vows that kind of incorporate that. Um, you know, just for the bond that you have or that you want to have with somebody, I think that that's what happens. I think it's amazing that, that 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 Naomi's character here contrasts this to a lot of what's going on in Judges. Naomi's character is such that it is so attractive. Ruth wants to do this. She wants to give up everything she's had in order to have what Naomi believes and has as a people. There's no recorded sermon in here that Naomi gives. There's no laying down of the law. There, I mean, who knows what's happened, right? But basically the point is, is that what Naomi had was so attractive, Ruth wanted it. And we kind of forget that today when we think about Christian evangelism. We're like, you know, if I hit you with the right tracks, if I, if I zing you with the right texts, if you, you know, then, then, it, then it'll be a thing. Or flip side, we think, no, you know, I'm willing to make a, a one or a, maybe a two degree course correction from what I used to believe, but Man, you can't expect me to like radically change what I believe just because you showed me something that's true or better. And here we have these people living a life of example and character. Their character shines through the whole book. And Ruth's willingness to say, you know what, I found I found the real deal and I'm going for it. I'm going all in, not holding anything back. And we forget today that people do that. Like that's a thing. If God calls us, and we respond with everything that that's a possibility that happens. Yeah. An interesting part of all this to me too, for Elimelech to go, well, he didn't take a, I'm going to say for him to go to Moab, that was, even that was interesting to me. Yes. Because, you know, they're in the promised land and for him to go to Moab, I don't know. Did it really tell us why? Famine. Just famine, yeah. Which says that, hey, sometimes, you know, even God's chosen people and his chosen place and so on. Mm -hmm. We remember there were some some pretty dark times in Israel. And here again, this is like Jesus when he was talking, made people pretty mad. He's like, what, were there no widows in Israel in the time of, you know, the the prophets when I believe it was uh, Elijah went and um, raised the widow's son and so on? And they were mad because, like, you went to a foreigner's place and helped a foreigner instead of the Israelites. And here we go. Elimelech goes to Moab. And remember, this is a big deal to Israelites. We've been studying this. Marry somebody who's not an Israelite was kind of like, oh, yeah, you guys are kind of second class if you do that. And Ruth comes back with Naomi. Ruth's a foreigner. And we see what happens here. It, It speaks of God's inclusivity, I think. That was actually that reference that they went to Moab because of a famine. That's actually why I was trying to look up how far it was from Bethlehem to Moab. So 
in those days, my curiosity was like, how far did you have to go to get away from a famine? It's not 7,086 miles. It turns out it's a 50-mile journey, which surprised me because it seems like you would have to, I don't know, maybe there's more just, I don't know, maybe there's just more native water there in the Moab area, but whatever. Well, you know, we have to remember, you know, they didn't have the the infrastructure we have now where, you know, I mean, we can order from Amazon today and have it tomorrow, you know, and um, 50 miles, that's a few days journey at least, Yeah. you know, so, so just the idea of another, another area that today, I mean, we could be there in an hour, but back then you just didn't have, you just didn't have the trade at the levels that we have it today and the ease of getting around. Oh, well, I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about how far do you have oh, to yeah. travel across a land that is in a mm -hmm. drought to get to an area that is not in drought and has supplies for you. Yeah. You never know. I lived on an island once in the Pacific. It was only 13 miles across. And it was entirely possible for one side of the island to be in severe drought while the other side of the island was just lush, green rain every day. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So microcosm. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so it was interesting then that Malin and Killian had taken taken these Moabite wives because that was kind of supposed to be forbidden. But I think we need to remember that in the time of Judges, you know, there was no king and we did what we thought was right in our own eyes. Yeah, the story of Ruth, it, you know, it works out for those times when you look you look outside of your faith for a spouse. Most of the time that's not going to work out. Right. You know, here it worked out with Ruth. Seems like Orpah was was ready to go back and just go back to everything she had before. Don't know how much she had bought into everything, you know, but but Ruth, Ruth is the exception. She's probably not the norm, you know. Nope. But when Naomi and Ruth get to back to Bethlehem, which is where Naomi was from originally, uh, says that the 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 city's excited to see them. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering kind of if, oh, not Oprah, if, if Naomi had kind of had a really good reputation in Bethlehem before they left. Of course, there's a lot of family there, I would imagine. You know, we know that, that, you know, the families all tended to kind of group together. So, uh, they were very, they were excited to see them come back. Uh, but, but Naomi is, well, I'm sure she's happy to be, be to be back. She says, "Why do you or don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant?" She says, "Call me Mara, which means bitter." And she vents a little bit here. In verse 21, she says, "I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. The Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me." I, you know, I'm trying to figure out here if she is just kind of venting or if she's actually kind of upset with God. I guess we all have those those times when we just kind of wonder, you know, what is going on? Why why am I having to go through this? Yeah. And Naomi is no different, other than she wants people to call her, she wants people to recognize her bitterness, and and even through her name. I would say that it's more than venting because, you know, as a as an older female, as she points out to the two girls, like she's too old to remarry, she's lost every support system. That a woman could have and at that point she in order to survive she has no choice but to go back where she has near kin but she is going back empty with no hope of 
really being able to provide for herself. So I would say that there is more than venting going on. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Yeah. And I think that's important. It's just, it's just that um, she didn't know the end of the story. I mean, we get the benefit because we could just flip ahead a few chapters. She couldn't just do that with her life, and we can't either. Man, there are seasons we go through where it'd just be nice just to be able to flip ahead a few pages and say, oh, okay, that's how that turns out. We don't have that luxury. Yeah, so I believe that it was a very hard, very real thing that she's saying here. Um, but at the same time, she had such a character that wasn't pure bitterness. Because think about it. Would Ruth really want to go to a foreign country with this bitter, complaining woman all the time? <laughs> I doubt it. Probably not. And so there was still something in Naomi's character that uh, recommended her to Ruth. They move back. And again, as we do this story, it's interesting that as we, that Ruth is industrious. She is not a, um, she's not just, she's not coming along with Naomi for a free ride, right? Because actually she, Ruth probably would have had an easier go of it back at her home. But she instead goes back with a widow, as Karen has mentioned, to a, to a new country and new gods. And here she's, she's casting her lot with them. And she's industrious. She immediately gets out and starts gleaning. If you don't know what the gleaning thing is about, that was actually one of the laws in Leviticus that was set, that God set up to take care of the poor. And Ruth here is taking advantage of that rule. It means that they go out and pick up what's left over from the, um, from the harvest because the uh, Israelites were told not to, to be super fastidious in cleaning up all of their harvest. They were supposed to basically intentionally leave some behind and not go all the way up to the corners and edges of the uh, field. We live in the Midwest here. And if you see the cornfields here, there's always the corn on the edge of the field. That's not as tall as the corn in the middle because the sprinklers don't hit it quite as well, or it's well, they were supposed to not harvest that essentially. So Ruth is out picking this up. If you note in verse 6, Boaz's men know who she is, and they know her story. So word travels fast here in this little community as to who she is. And, and Boaz is a, is a relative of hers. And Boaz, this is interesting, he's not xenophobic. Uh, he is kind and has a heart for others. Again, we hit this theme again of people reaching out to others. They were, the, the Moabites were distant relatives of the Israelites. And there was Abraham's clan and there was Lot's clan. And the Moabites and Ammonites, if, correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, remember, uh, they were the children you're of right. Lot. Yep, you're right. And they settled elsewhere and did many not, uh, they weren't straight up Israelites by any stretch. And even then they were different. The Ammonites tended to be generally pretty antagonistic to the Israelites, and the Moabites kind of came and went with how bad they were. But Boaz is uh, welcoming to her and kind. And in verse 11, we see that in this small town, news travels. Boaz says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother in your native land. So there you go, Matt. She absolutely did have family that she left mm -hmm. and came to a people you did not know before. And this is another cha change in this book versus what happens in other. Everything is attributed to the Lord. The Lord repay you and give you full reward. You know, the, the famines is like, well, this is a 
this is God's thing, and I'm going to... Everything is attributed, attributed to, and they turn to God all the time. My point, though, is, is mostly that Boaz knows her story, and somehow her reputation, her influence, her character, the news of that's gotten spread around. Well, Boaz invites Ruth to come eat with him and his men, and so they're getting to know each other here a little bit. And he specifically instructs the men to let her glean wherever she wants, even around the harvested sheaves. So I'm guessing that, well, you know, if they had made a harvest and they had bunched the, the barley together, and even if stuff had fallen there around what they had already, you know, picked up, he's saying, no, you let her, any of that, you let her take any of that stuff off. If it's on the ground, you just, you know, let her have it. Don't, don't, uh, don't bugger about this. He even tells him, let some grain fall on purpose to the point where it says that Ruth is able to glean an entire ephah. Now, an ephah, I had to look up, 22 liters, right. almost almost six gallons <laughs> yeah. of, of grain that she was able grain. to to salvage, if you will. That's <laughs> that's not that's not uh, I, I have a hard time believing that that would be a typical day of gleaning. Right. That you would get six gallons of grain uh, just by picking it up off the ground from what what had been accidentally left behind. Well, do you guys remember? Um, I don't remember where it was. It was earlier where the Israelites were given instruction to leave the gleanings for mm -hmm. the poor and for foreigners. So that was I mean, that was this was already an Israelite policy. Yeah, but they did it, which is rare. We read about these policies. Well, see so many times is what they're supposed to do and almost never see them actually do it. And right. here we see Boaz actually doing it. Yeah, and this was after she had after she had beaten out beaten it out. So this is actual kernels of grain. She had six mm -hmm. gallons of kernels of grain that she was able to 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 uh, to pick up. It's probably like a forty pound grain of bag of grain. I mean this yeah. is this is yeah, a my Bible said it was came up to thirty pounds, probably oh. about thirty pounds. It says. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, uh, that seems like a little bit, <laughs> a little bit more than a than a little salvage operation. Right. You know, and then I was looking too, and it's it's not only the act of gleaning, but then too getting in on the threshing floor, and that's usually you know, the processing part. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. it was like she was able to like use all the equipment and what what have you. You know the facilities there, so it was just more than just going up up behind people and picking up what was left over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's part a theme of the here actual too. process, but not part of the group yet. That's a theme here too. What Tracy's talking about is people are not performing the mere minimum. It's not like you know a formality that Ruth says to Naomi, "Like, well, thank you very much for inviting me." No, really, no, really, you do. Okay, well, bye bye. It's those kind of. You know, that would have been the formality, but Ruth really means it. When Boaz says, hey, you know, work here among us and we were not going to hassle you, he doesn't perform the mere minimum to hit the letter of the law. He's like, no, really, let's let's make sure she's set up with some grain here. Right. Well, when they, um, you know, Ruth takes takes the grain to Naomi and we're talking and Naomi informs Ruth that Boaz is, as she calls him, a close relative. That is significant because of what relatives were able to do in the redeeming process. 
I made some allusion to it here a little earlier. When the brothers had died, normally it would have been the responsibility of the next brother in line to take that wife and care for her. And, um, it, you know, this is why it had left the women in such a bad, bad state. But, you know, any close relatives, it seems, was able to to do this, go into this redeeming process. And Naomi, I think Naomi obviously has uh, some ideas here of what she'd like to see happen because she she tells Ruth about about the relationship, uh, how they're related and kind of counsels her to just, you know, stick around, stick around close to there and uh, stay close to the women. And eventually she she <laughs> she plays a little matchmaker there in Ruth starting in uh, oh, chapter three. You know, I think we look there, though, just going back just a little bit, when you look at the redeeming redeemer part of it, I, when I was reading it, was thinking, oh, he was first in line. Mm. But technically he wasn't. And we see that as we go on a little bit of a spoiler alert, you know, yep. in the next couple, in the next chapter, is that he wasn't first in line. But it was still another provision set up that, okay, maybe if the first in line didn't get it, then it kind of trickled down effect where... You know, it was still a possibility. Yeah, you know what I just noticed? I just now noticed this. Is that Naomi didn't send Ruth to the first relative in line. Right. That's not what she said. And I find this fascinating. I didn't notice this until just now. She didn't tell Ruth about this relative that Boaz was. It's kind of like a test of both Ruth and Boaz. She doesn't tell either one of them what's going on. She's like, oh, just go out here and then tell me what happens. And Boaz acts as Boaz acts, and Ruth comes back and gives us news. And then Naomi's like, well, actually, let me tell you the part of the story you don't know about. Mm. I find that fascinating. It was that refining process of their true character. I think so. Yeah. So um, this, this came up a little bit later in the story when Boaz goes to the one who's ahead of him in line, and he talks about Elimelech's property. Right. So mm -hmm. Elimelech's property sat there for the entire 10 years that the family was gone to Moab mm -hmm. and it's still there. Like mm -hmm. nobody's infiltrated it or taken it over. It didn't pass to the next of kin, you know, like that's what it is. But mm -hmm. that line needs an inheritor. Right. Mm -hmm. So this so it's it's not just. It's not just the woman. Like you, you marry the woman, but the firstborn child is the heir of the deceased. That's the kind of the idea, right? Right. And um, it, and if anybody's curious about that, they talk about it in uh, Deuteronomy twenty-five, in the list of you know laws for what the Israelites are supposed to do. There's a remedy given for a woman whose husband has died, and whose next of kin won't marry her like she actually has a legal process that's available to her to go to the town elders and raise a complaint in front of witnesses so it's verses 5 through 10 of deuteronomy 25 if anybody wants to check that out it's pretty interesting you know i think if you go back and listen to our like previous podcasts about that is that's when we kind of talk about the provisions that god has even for and that's how we kind of brought it up just for females that, you know what, it, there was a process for them just in case this happened, they were still taken care of. And then too, if you look, I think it goes back to the property too, that, you know what, the property was actually yours. Unless you chose to get rid of it, it was yours forever. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, his land still being there for him, that was set up intentionally that, mm -hmm. you know what, he would never lose that unless he wanted to get rid of it. Yeah, in which case you'd have that 50-year jubilee and then his yep. descendants would get it back anyways. Right, yeah. 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 Supposed to. Don't know that that happened. But. So we've got this cool story unfolding here is that Naomi has some idea of what's going on and gives her daughter-in-law some daughter -in -law some some hints here. It's like, okay, so here's the deal. Um, stick with him, and we're going to do these traditions and these customs, which I find just like kind of just weird, <laughs> is that she sends her out. And I find it interesting. She's like, take a bath. And we could read over that kind of like, oh, yeah, sure, whatever. And it's like, actually, that would probably not be a daily occurrence there. Right. right. So wait, take a bath. And go out and um, meet your, uh, this is your kinsman redeemer, which I think is just a really fascinating thing, is that he does, he's not obliged to this, but he takes opportunity to this. She has to play a part. He plays a part. She, she addresses him and basically invites, in, this is in uh, chapter 3, verse 9, which is, spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he knows this, and he says, you know, you've you've done, you know, great by your your mother-in-law, and to me, you didn't go after just young men; you were going after something something more than that kind of character. Ruth recognized Boaz's character here, I think, because she could have married somebody else and could have had a life and could have, you know, had her children be part of that inheritance. But she chooses the inheritance of her mother-in-law with a kinsman redeemer. It's a lot of stuff going on here. And I find it fascinating in verse 11, where he says to her, um, I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. It's, again, it goes to character and reputation, and they had it. I mean, Ruth had this, and that matters. Everyone has character in this story, and... Um, it's just kind of cool to see it. On a much more superficial note, I kept cringing whenever Boaz would call Ruth daughter. <laughs> because to me, like that categorically, like there's clearly no flirtation or attraction going on. And yet apparently there was, and he still keeps calling her daughter. But he must have been quite a bit older than her, because then he makes that comment about, like, you know, you haven't gone after the younger men. Yeah. It's a cultural thing. I'm, I'm quite sure of that. I'm reading a story about um, people who were missionaries in China in the 1920s. And like this older Caucasian guy would refer to anyone who would help him, who was a, a Chinese national, as um, my older brother. I mean, like mm. one's one's a white guy, and the other guy's Chinese, and he's younger. And he refers to this younger Chinese guy as my elder brother. It's just, it was a courtesy thing. It it was kind of weird for me to like what? That's just mm. what they did. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so so Ruth basically asks him to redeem her, and he says, "Well, I'll do what I can." But he recognizes first first of all that there is somebody in line before him to do this. He's like, okay, I'll do what I can. He gives Ruth six ephahs of barley to to take home. Remember how much that last one was. Uh, he obviously is caring for her. And she comes home and she tells Naomi about this. And Naomi, she says, no, Boaz is going to keep his word. 
So they go through this process then where Boaz meets this other relative and he gets 10 elders involved so that there are witnesses. And he asks this other relative, we don't get that guy's name, if he will redeem the land that mm-hmm. we've been to. Because Naomi, she either sold a part of it, maybe all of it, but she had sold the land. And uh, he, a- he asked his relative if he'll take the land, which I thought was interesting. It's kind of a, a roundabout way of going through this. <laughs> I noticed that too. But I think, it's what, I think it's what Eric was talking about in the beginning is that we see Boaz and Ruth and Naomi for their true character as virtuous above and beyond. And then it kind of shifts gears a little bit and you see this other person that, well, sure, I'll take the land. Right. But mm. Boaz goes, well, you have to remember if you take the land, then you get Ruth with the land too. And the right. reason that's important is what Karen said, is that your family doesn't inherit that land. Right. Her child inherits the land. And this whole thing yeah. pivots on that. The guy wants the land. He's cool with that. Right. As soon as he finds out, oh, wait a minute. I'm not actually going to end up with that land in the long run. It's going to be somebody else's kid. I mean, it'll be my child, but then I won't inherit it. It'll go to this other family. And that's when he's like, yeah, no, pass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He says, how did he put it? He said something about. He says, I might kid. endanger my own estate. You yeah. redeem yeah. it yourself. I cannot do it. Yeah. So Ruth basically gets passed along then to Boaz, which is what everybody wanted to begin with. <laughs> so, you know, it works out. It was a feel-good story of the of the book. Mm-hmm. So Boaz buys the property. He takes Ruth as his wife, and the book basically ends with I don't know. I think maybe it's one of the coolest parts of the story of all. We get yeah. we get the story of the descendants of Boaz, and ultimately what we find out is that King David now will be a descendant of Boaz through Ruth. And that's important because as we go down farther, we find that Jesus himself is a descendant of David. He's in the line of David. Mm-hmm. And and so this is at least the second time I can think of in the the history or the genealogy of Jesus where you had non-Israelite women giving birth to the next in line that that eventually led to Jesus. Mm-hmm. I think they're the only women listed, aren't they? Besides, like, Eve, obviously. No, we have another one that's listed here, too. And here's the crazy thing, is that the women who are listed are not the ones who would make the traditional pure Jewish good women thing here. We've got, got um, uh, Ray, uh, was it, her name is Rahab? Rahab. Yeah. Okay. And here's interesting, is that Boaz is a um, descendant of Perez, which is a son of Tamar. Oh, yeah. The study of how Perez came to be conceived. Yeah. And Tamar's uh, role in that is that these are some, shall we say, interesting women who who were not Israelite textbook women, but they were, I'm not going to say bad, because that's not right either, but they were, they had flavor. And uh, so we've got uh, Perez, who's the son of Tamar, and then we've got Ruth, who's a Moabitess, and we've got Rahab. Um, By the way, I'm looking in Matthew here, and in Matthew 1, verse 5, it says, Salmon, 
Salman, Salma. I don't know. I've seen his name written different ways. Yeah. The father of Boaz, whose yeah. mother was Rahab. So it's right there. Like it's that generation. So it's fascinating. Yeah. That these people are included in this stuff. I think I love it. 15. I just thought verse 15 in chapter four was pretty awesome. How Ruth in, in the story anyways, she says, you know, he shall be a restorer of life and a nurture. Also, it's interesting that in 15, it says a son was born to Naomi. It's like they just took it. It's like, yep, that's her son. Mm. And in Bible times, you got to watch out for that because sometimes the grandparent would be credited as the parent. And then it makes you're trying to figure out the lineage very, you're like, wait, what? So she says in 15, um, let me find it here. Blessed is he who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. And he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher to your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is more to you than seven sons. So she she says to herself, it's like, yeah, you lost stuff. But me, this is Ruth. I think this is just awesome. She's like, I'm worth more to you than seven sons. And she gives a grandson to her mother-in-law. And it's just pretty awesome. And so the whole story is a, it's a very it's a very interesting story of faith and dedication and grace mm-hmm. uh, redemption you know in a lot of ways we can look at that how Boaz acted and we can see a lot of the story of of Christ redeeming us through through Boaz's actions you know when nobody else wanted him or when nobody else wanted Ruth Boaz wanted Ruth, mm-hmm. and, and uh, that's kind of the position we're in. You know, if it weren't for Jesus's redemption, redeeming of us, that's it for us. You know, game over. Any final thoughts on the book of Ruth? Did we miss anything? I think it's worth just summing up to say there is some feel-good stuff. There's some really neat stuff here, but mm-hmm. there was also, I mean, there was some real heartache here. I mean. We don't know if Boaz was married to somebody else or if this was his first wife. I don't think there's anything that gives us a clue. He might not have been all happy and sunshine his whole life. We know that, let's not forget that Naomi was a a, um, a widow, that Ruth was a widow. I mean, she lost her husband of, what, 10 years, I think it said? She was married? Uh, he lived in Moab for 10 years, and the boys came of age and married while they were there. So not 10 years of marriage. Okay, so a while anyhow, um, enough that Ruth was willing to leave everything she had known and go with this woman she had known for however long, which is probably more than a couple weeks. (laughs) Um, That hurts. You know, I haven't lost a spouse to, you know, to to death or to anything else, but that's painful. They had to flee their homeland because of a famine in the promised land. It's, these were, these were real painful things and yet through it good things resulted and i just think that's a lot more like life than just a fairy tale where it's like all pretend and it's all good and neither is it the tragedy of where we see and i wonder you guys pitch in here is that these people acted at every turn with integrity and i wonder if that didn't those choices didn't steer the story Oh, absolutely. yeah, I'm, I think so. Oh, yeah. I mean, I you know, things their whole character steered the story and and made you feel that they had went above and beyond to to make this happen. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was, you know, you start from the very beginning. There was really no reason Naomi needed to try to take her daughters-in-law under her wing. She didn't have anything for them. There was no reason for Ruth to stick to Naomi. You know, at least not, you know, there, there was no uh, tangible reasons. There was no real reason for Boaz to, other than, other than, um, you know, traditional responsibilities, no real reason for Boaz to, to redeem Ruth. I mean, she's, she's a foreigner. She's a woman. She's, she's, um, she's used. She's a, she's a, she's a widow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to sound crude, but I mean, you could look at it that way. Like, uh, there's all yeah. these reasons that he could have rejected her. Mm-hmm. But, but he was, he was raised other than that. His mother was Rahab. Speaking of used, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that that's, that's, and that's the point is that sometimes we can get very quote religious and very like, well, that's not by the book. And it's like, I think when we have opportunity, we can, we can make choices that are in line with what God's asked us to do. But just because our history doesn't give us that opportunity doesn't mean it's over. Not at all. Yeah. I find that just absolutely awesome. And to your point, Karen, how he was raised with kind of an open, open eyes yeah. to, to people other than just by your heart and your character, not, yeah, not where you yeah. came from and what you did and the mistakes you made. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, I find it just absolutely very encouraging, encouraging. We can look back and say, Oh, that, that part of my history is not what I would have wanted it to be, but doesn't mean God can't use it. And, not just like get by. I mean, to be, this is, I mean, David is to Israelites. He is the it. Like he is the, he is the thing. And to be the progenitor of David is like, it doesn't get bigger, better than that. Right. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up for the book of Ruth. Then Next week, we will get into the book of Samuel. I think we will look at those first five chapters there. Nice. While you are waiting for that, you can reach out to us at attbpodcastattheadventure.org. Folks, if you want to make a New Year's resolution, resolve to write me an email. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'll write you an email. I want to read some emails. I want to hear. I want to hear from from people, and and uh, I want to hear what you think of, you know, what what you think of what we say. I'd, I'd love to hear your inputs as well. So take an opportunity to reach out to us at attv podcast at theadventure.org. Look for us on Facebook. Be sure to share the podcast with your friends and family, and be sure to subscribe so that you reach us in your feed each and every week. I'm <coughs> choking to death. Yeah, you are. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) (laughs) You barely made that one. That was the last last (laughs) ounce of breath there. I had a tickle in the back of my throat all of a sudden. Wow.